I see that video, I want to ride a horse. Yeah. Hey, welcome. I'm glad you're here today. We're, uh, we're in a series called The Outsiders right now. Last week was our first week of the series. Uh, went awesome. I want to thank Jake Dukes. He's our life groups pastor for preaching last week. Did a phenomenal job. And uh, yeah, I tell you what, listen, I, I said this the first service. I'm going to say it again. I work with some of the most talented people on the planet, okay? And uh, they make me look much better than what I am. And some of you go, well, you're not that good. Well, trust me, I would look really bad if I wasn't surrounded by them. So I'm very thankful for all of our staff. I want us to give all of our staff a huge round of applause. Every single week, um, I'm amazed. I get to sit in some of the coolest meetings of the world and hear these guys talk. And I think, you know what? If Apple knew you were here, they'd hire you in a second. Okay, but you're here on South Crest staff, and we're so excited. So today, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5. We're going to dig into uh, week two of this series called The Outsiders. We're kind of talking about the idea that all of us at one time in our life, we were on the outside looking in. And uh, because of Christ's love, he brought us inside. But something happens to us in the Christian life where if we're not careful, um, when we become an insider, we forget the outsider. We forget the person who maybe is standing on the outside looking in. And I want to say this today. If you're here and you're visiting, I know we had folks visiting at both of our campuses last hour, and you're an outsider. And I'll explain that more in just a minute. You're kind of peeking in in faith, and you're kind of saying, man, what's this whole Christian thing about? Like, why am I even here? Like, I'm in, a, I'm in an industrial park <laughs> in a warehouse, okay? Some of you are like, where's the forklift, okay? Uh, we got rid of it a long time ago, safety violation. Anyway, we're glad that you're here, and I want you to know you're in a safe place because we're going to talk about you in a good light today because we're going to talk about us. We were all outsiders, and there was a point in our life when someone invited us inside, and Jesus changed our life. And, and when he did, there's something about faith that the more you look at your life as a Christian, you realize that, man, it's not just about the inside. It really is about the outside. In fact, it's about the fact that God has given us a message to share, and he's given us people to reach. I mean, Jake said it really good last week. There are people of peace all the way around us in our lives that God says, I want you to go to this person and take this message because through this, I want to change their life. And I, I love that part about my faith. But here's what I also realized, that when you become a Christian, if you're not careful, your focus turns inward very quickly. In fact, I meet people all the time. They're like, man, I'm just, I'm struggling in my Christian faith. And I'll start to listen to them. And they'll say, you know, I'm in this Bible study and I hang out with, with this group and, and we had to do this. And I come to church, you know, and this and this, and I give and, 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 and I'm trying to serve. And, and I say, hey, all those things are good, but they never talk about any relationship they have with outsiders. And I want to give you one of the secrets to joy in the Christian life. One of the things that's missing in most of our lives is we've forgotten that although Jesus has invited us in, our joy comes when we go out. In fact, I want to say it this way. When our faith turns inward, we lose our outward joy. There's a lot of you going, oh, now I know why I suddenly think that it's about doing more things and more Christian activity, and there must be something missing. I talk to people all the time. They go, where's the joy in my Christian life? And I say the joy in the Christian life after you've grown in your relationship with Christ is helping others find him. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about. I want to tell you a true story, okay? Um, some of you guys know this. I did not grow up in church. I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was 17 years old as a junior in high school, almost at the end of my junior year. 
Uh, I grew up in a community in kind of um, northwest Oklahoma City called the Bethany area. We were the Bethany Broncos. And, uh, you know, we, well, I grew up on that side of town. There was a lot of churches. There was probably a church about every hundred feet in Bethany, okay? I mean, it was a very church community. Uh, but I didn't go to church. I didn't have faith in Christ. I wasn't a believer. I was, certainly wasn't a Christ follower. Uh, I went to a, a public high school. It was kind of a small public high school. It was next to a lot of other uh, churches. It just seemed like everywhere, you could like take a softball and hit like five churches if you just kind of turned around. Uh, that's the kind of community I grew up in, but yet I wasn't a believer. I wasn't a Christ follower. But when I was in fifth grade, I had this little thing happen to me. I don't know what it was, but you know, when you're in fifth grade, you do whatever your friends do. So on Sunday night, because back then they had church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, on Sunday night, there was this very large church in my community. Uh, they would have a Sunday night service. And so as a fifth grader, some of my friends were going to this church on Sunday night. I said, hey, I'm going to go check that out. I showed up the first week, kind of dressed like normal me. And I walked in, and everyone was dressed up. I mean, when I say dressed up, I mean like suits, like ties, like everyone looked really, really good. And I walked in, and I went, it's Sunday night. Like, what's up with you people, okay? Because remember, I was an outsider looking in. And so I did the smart thing that every fifth grader would do. I went home, and I told my mom, I said, Mom, I don't fit there. Like, I want to go. I want to be on the inside. But to be on the inside, you must, like, probably dress a certain way. So what did my mom do? She drove me down to JCPenney's, and she bought me a baby blue three-piece suit <laughs> with a clip-on tie. Fifth grader, Okay. I mean, it had like the baby blue vest and the coat. I mean, it was like George Jefferson on crack. I mean, it was awesome. And I put that thing on and I walked into that church. And here's what I thought. I thought, man, certainly someone's going to notice me now because here's a fifth grader coming in. I look all the other kids with clip-on ties. And I walk in there and nobody talks to me. Nobody says a word to me. I end up sitting by myself and thinking to myself, I feel like I'm on the outside of this church with all of its stained glass windows and I'm looking in and nobody even knows I'm looking in as a fifth grader. You say, wow, that must have like damaged you. It didn't damage me because when I gave my life to Christ, I immediately realized I knew what it felt to be an outsider. You see, some of you, you've grown up in church all your life. If you were raised like in church your entire life, raise your hand. Okay, probably half of us to two-thirds of us, okay? I mean, we're in the South, right? We're in Atlanta, so most people have some sort of a familiarity with growing up in a church. I didn't have that. But I never forgot what it looked like and what it felt like to peer through the window of faith and say, I don't know if they really want me here. And I don't know if I belong. And if I belong, where do I belong? And why do I belong? And so t today, as we talk through this message, as we look at this idea of reaching the outsider, it's very personal to me, because I still remember what it looked like to be on the outside looking in. You see, here's what happens. We give our life to Christ, and over a period of time, we grow in our faith, which is a great thing. But if we're not careful, growth stops when we stop looking outward. And suddenly our faith, if we're not careful, becomes septic. What that means is we kind of back up in our faith. We kind of get to a point where it's suddenly more about us than it is about the outsider. And it's crazy because I think the American church probably struggles with that more than any other place in the world. 
I mean, we start asking questions like this. We have insider thinking. And here's how an insider would say. He would say, hey, how does this benefit me? Right? Like, I need you to start ministries that benefit me because I, I, that's, that's what I need. Or I hear people say this, what is this going to cost me? Like, how much time am I going to have to invest? That's how an insider would think. But Jesus said that's not how he wants us to think. I mean, an insider might say something like, hey, I like it when the church does it this way because that's how I like it. Well, let me ask you a question. At what point in your faith is it no longer about you? How much is enough as a Christian to say it's no longer about me, but it's about the person outside of these four walls? We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is changing lives. It's one of the coolest points in the gospel. In fact, this exact story is found in Mark chapter 2. And Jesus is talking, and we're seeing him change people's lives because we know that in this chapter, he's already called his first disciples. He's beginning to show compassion toward other people, and people are starting to have their lives radically changed. Like people are being healed of leprosy, and, and, and we see the, the moment in this story that we're going to talk about today is a moment where everyone gathered around because Jesus was having one of those really cool Jesus moments. So the crowd was there. The herd was there. Everyone was watching. Look at verse 17 of Luke chapter 5. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to get him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this, they went up on the roof and lowered him through a mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisee and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I love this because Jesus always knows what we're thinking. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? You see, the Pharisees were way more concerned about getting everything right spiritually and had no concern for the outsider. And Jesus calls them out. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You know, when you look at this story, there were really kind of like three things that kept the outsider from getting in. I mean, what was really keeping the outsider from getting in? First of all, the Bible tells us there was a crowd. Mark 2, it tells us there was a large crowd. Like people were in, like people, the in crowd was there that day. I mean, it was like the third Sunday, they all showed up, right? And they came because Jesus was healing people. And as Jesus was healing people, everyone wanted to see what was going on. So the crowd showed up, and they began to see Jesus change people's lives, and they, they were just like, wow, like, look what, he, look what he's doing. Look how he's, he's changing lives. But there was this one guy, he couldn't get there because of the crowd. 
Have you ever thought about the crowd that exists in the church? Sometimes the crowd is the fact that we've got our own relationships. It's like, you know what? I've got my 10 people that I hang with. If somebody new walks in, I don't know, man, that's going to cause me a lot of discomfort. The crowd kept this guy from getting in. Was there anything wrong with the crowd? Well, there may have been. There may not have been. We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But the crowd was real. Number two, their condition. This guy was feeble. He was weak. He didn't have any way to get to Jesus. He had to have someone pick him up. He was totally dependent on somebody else to get him there. Now, here's the the crazy thing about this. When you look at this guy's life, how many people probably walked right in front of him day after day and said, hey, man, I'm going to go see Jesus. (laughs) Like, I heard he's healing over here at the YMCA. Like, let's go over there. But they would just walk right by. But these four guys, they were different. Because the Bible says they saw his condition. They saw how feeble he was. They saw how weak he was. And they saw how far away he was from Jesus. And here was the one thought they had. If somehow we can get him to Jesus, Jesus will probably change his life. And then there was the roof. Because we know from the story that when they couldn't get him to Jesus, they had to make a decision to climb a roof. And that in itself meaning that they had to have some crazy innovation to somehow lower him to Jesus. You know, in churches, there's a lot of roofs. You know what our biggest roof is? Our own personal comfort. I've met people who say, man, I'll give 100 bucks so that somebody can get to know Christ. Well, would you give an hour of your time? Dude, I ain't got much time. It's our own personal comfort. I don't find many people that are like, man, I hate the outsider. I wish they, no, no, I don't meet people like that. I meet people that are just like, it's very inconvenient. (laughs) It's very inconvenient. It's going to cost me something deep here. But that's what was keeping this guy from Jesus. And in churches and in our lives, spiritually, many times we have those roofs. I want to tell you something. I want our church to be the type of church where we remove all of the roofs for why someone can't come to Jesus. Amen? I mean, that's how we ought to think. We ought to think, you know what? We ought to remove every single offense. Like, nobody should be offended by the fact that that we don't have great children's ministry or that we don't have someone on the parking lot or someone didn't greet you in the door. We need to remove all those offenses for why somebody would say, you know what, I'm never going back there. The only thing that ought to offend someone is the gospel. Why? Because it causes them to have to deal with their own lostness. But that was what was stopping this guy. So when I think about that, I think, you know what? They found themselves in a really cool predicament. And here's why. Because they had a decision to make. Do I or do we really want to help this outsider become an insider? So here's what we got to do. Here's what we have to do if we're going to reach the outsider. Number one, we have to realize we have limited resources. And limited resources are a good thing. The Bible says they carried him on a mat, okay? They didn't have a little short bus or a 15 white passenger van with a sticker on the back that waved that said, follow me to VBS, okay? That didn't exist in this story. They didn't have a great camel they could throw the guy on. They had four people carrying him on a mat, They had limited resources. Here's what we say. Well, we don't have this, so I can't do this. 
That's not how these guys thought. Listen, you have everything. God has given you everything you need to reach the people he wants you to reach. Relationships, influence. I mean, I love living in Noonan, Georgia. Here's why. We're the city of homes. Some of you go, what? What did he just say? Yeah, it's like downtown, like city of homes. I mean, when I was praying about coming here four years ago, I went through this time of like prayer and fasting, like, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And, and I, I even felt like God gave me a scripture that literally called out, you're going to go to the place that's known as the city of homes. I'm like, wow, that's cool. God's given us mortgages that we put on homes, rentals that we put on places to be able to reach people for Jesus. That's pretty cool. Some of you are like, I never thought of that. Because I look at my home and I say, well, I can't have people in my home because if I have people in my home, then it means I'm going to have to clean it before and after. <laughs> Listen, whatever you think you have that's limited, God doesn't care. He's saying, how bad do you want to get people to me? We say we can't because we don't, but we need to be saying we can do this because we don't. I meet a lot of Christians, they have so much overhead in their life spiritually, they can't reach anybody. But God's given us everything we need to reach the people he wants us to reach. All he's asking is this, are you willing to take what I've given you and use it to bring people to me? Some of you have a car with seats that are empty. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, he's calling out my Nissan. Yeah, I am. I'm calling it your Nissan, your Toyota, your Honda, your Cadillac, whatever you got, okay? One of the greatest opportunities you have to bring people to Jesus is through relationships and resources that God has given you and God has given me. Let me explain it this way. I told you that when I gave my life to Christ when I was 17, some really radical things happened. Now, when, when I became a Christ follower in April of that, uh, that year, a group of friends of mine who were like really strong friends in that youth group that I became a part of, we decided on Sunday nights after church, we were going to go out and we were going to tell people about Jesus, which was crazy because we're all like 17, 18 years of age, and, and we found some of the wildest things, okay? So like I had one friend, his name was Chuck. He would literally go into the, um, you, you know, like at the hotel where they have the lady who has to stay at the stand all night, you know, she can't leave her post because someone may check in. Well, Chuck would go there because she couldn't leave, and he would sit there and tell her about Jesus. Okay, so I know many people that ended up coming to our church, they worked at all the local hotels. It was really kind of cool. And then another thing, I had a friend named David. He would get on an elevator, and no lie, this happened all the time. He would push the 17th floor, and then as soon as the elevator went, and everyone, you know, gives that awe like, oh my gosh, we got to go 17 floors, Okay. And there's like an elevator full of people. He would look over at me and he would say with a very loud voice, Sean, have I ever told you the story about how Jesus radically changed my life? And for the next 17 floors, told me the story. And people are getting off the elevator going, was that true? And David's like, yeah, that's like totally true. Jesus changed my life. I mean, we would just do crazy stuff like that. Like if we would go into laundromats. I mean, people can't leave, right? Their clothes are there. <laughs> And uh, we just did whatever, but, but every now and then we would be driving down the road there in Oklahoma City and we would find a homeless person. And we would pray, Lord, do you want us to pick this person up? What do you want us to do? And so this one guy, we picked him up on the side of the road and, and literally like five minutes in, he's telling us his life story. His name was Jeremy. 
And when Jeremy found out who we were, it's like, well, who are you guys? It's like, oh, well, I'm a senior in high school. I'm a junior. You know, we began telling blah, blah, blah. And we're Christians. Well, Jeremy immediately told us that his name was really Jesus. And we were like, whoa. What we found very quickly is this guy was schizophrenic. And that he had literally lost all aptitude to all of his meds and everything else. And it was a very sad situation. And, and we just sat there like, what are we going to do? I thought, do I take this guy to my house? Hey, Mom, I brought Jeremy home. Or is it Jesus? Uh, I mean, I don't know. You know, what do we do here in this moment? But here's what we were committed to do. Whatever Jesus wanted us to do. So I thought and I prayed and the Lord said, you need to take him to the Jesus house in downtown Oklahoma City. It was a rescue mission. They had Bible studies every night. I walk in. He started going to Bible study. <laughs> they fed him. They clothed him. About three or four weeks later, we're out on a Sunday night again. We see Jeremy again. We pick him up. He knew us. He remembered us. He said, hey, man, can you take me back down to the Jesus house? I said, sure. We drove him all the way down to downtown Oklahoma City. We got him down there. And this happened for probably about six to nine months. We would see him about every two or three weeks all over Oklahoma City. I mean, in the strangest places. And I kept praying, Lord, I want to change Jeremy's life. Like, I want him to be different. I want him to, to know how you've changed my life. I don't want to be stuck in this. The Lord told me something that really forever changed my life. He said, Sean, your job is not to change Jeremy. Your job is just to bring Jeremy to me. And I'll do the rest. We began to see Jeremy's life change. I don't know whatever happened to Jeremy. I believe that I'll see him in heaven someday. But see, we look at what we don't have and we say we can't because we don't. And what we need to be saying is, we can because we don't. I don't have this, so therefore I'm going to do everything I can to use what God has given me to help people get to Jesus. That's what I love about our church. That's what I love about your generosity. You people get this. More than any other church I've ever been in in my life, this church gets this. Are we willing to take what we have and use it to bring people to Jesus? Number two, a willingness to fail. These guys put their reputation on the line. Everyone else was at the service. Like everyone's focus was like, hey man, Jesus is about to heal a guy. Everyone's, everyone's at the service, everyone's at the church, and these guys are on the outside looking in. They could have easily said, well, let's just go drop him off at the door so no one sees us. <laughs> they could have said, hey, we're just going to walk him up there and shove him in. They didn't do that. They had a willingness to fail. Why? Because they understood what was at stake. I want you to hear this today. When it comes to bringing people to Jesus, failure is not an option. It is a necessity. We must be willing to do whatever it takes to bring people to the feet of Jesus. That's what someone did for you. Or have you forgotten? Someone loved you enough. It forces us to check our motives, and to check everything we're doing and ask ourselves the question, what is more important, my reputation, my own personal failure, my own comfort, or this person's life? I remember being a student pastor in, uh, in Arkansas at one point. Well, I had just gotten there, and, and I just want you to know, this is funny, this is kind of like behind the curtain about church life a little bit, but youth ministers and church custodians, they don't get along very well. Because the youth minister's always blowing something up. 
you know, and the custodial guy, they're like fixing everything, okay? Like, you blew that up. You know, you dropped pumpkins off the top of the roof or whatever. You know, we would do whatever it took. But we walk in this one Wednesday night, and we had set up that night, because our youth group was growing, we had set up about 250 chairs. And for us, that was a big deal. The janitor walks in, and he goes, what would you set up all those chairs for? I said, because there's going to be 250 teenagers here. He said, well, you don't need to set up all those chairs. Nobody's, you're not going to, you're going to have but 150 here. And I looked at him, I said, listen, just because you said that, I'm going to set up 300 chairs. Because if I'm willing to fail, you might be shocked at what God will do. I loved his face when he walked in about six, eight months later, and there's 350 teenagers in there. Listen, guys. Are we willing to fail to bring people to the feet of Jesus? It's going to take that type of mentality because failure is an event. It's not a person. What are we willing to risk that's greater than the gospel? Nothing, 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 nothing. So these guys, they had a willingness to fail. They certainly had limited resources, but I think the third thing that changed everything was they had an increasing passion for people. The Bible tells us when they saw that the crowd was there, they couldn't get him in, they had a decision to make. I mean, I would have loved to have been in that moment. I would have loved to hear, to hear I'm sure there was an engineer in the group that was going, well, I don't know if we can get him across the thing because he's been, you know, lower him down. I mean, and there was probably one guy, he was probably just a good old boy, he goes, let's just climb the roof. <laughs> I love people like that. I mean, I love people when they see an obstacle, they don't just walk away, but they're so moved by compassion and love and passion that they just go kick the door down. Okay, that's what these guys did. They saw the limitations. They were willing to fail. They were willing to put themselves outside of themselves, and they had an increasing passion. So what did they do? They climbed the roof, and they cut a hole in the roof. Now, let me tell you about holes in the roof. Back in those days, they were made of straw and manure. It was a manure roof, probably. They, they put it all around, and they had a straw, and they literally had to cut through the you-know-what to get the guy into Jesus, okay? Not much has changed in the church today. I'm just saying, okay? They had to cut a hole to get him in. But they did it because their passion was real. And their passion was right. I want you to hear this statement. At Southcrest, we don't want to reach people for Jesus. We must reach people for Jesus. I mean, that's what's at stake. See, we forget what's at stake. We get so inwardly focused on, hey, when are you going to do something that's going to feed me? When are you going to do something that's going to benefit me? When's my kid get this? When do I get that? Listen, when is it about you? It isn't about you. The day you met Jesus, it's about you telling another beggar where to find food. That's what it's about. And that's where the joy in the Christian life is. It's not in all these other things. The devil will make you so busy, you'll think, man, I've, I love all the activity. Listen, we're not a spiritual YMCA. We're a triage unit carrying people to the Savior. That's what it's about. 
And so these guys, they had the mentality, we don't want to get this, we, we don't want to try to get this guy to Jesus. We must get this guy to Jesus. I mean, last week, I, I love, by the way, if you're a veteran, I want to thank you for your service. Last week, man, I, thank you. All of you who served our country, listen. Last week, I watched like 10 programs on different things that our military has done throughout history. And one of the coolest ones I watched was this documentary on the Navy SEALs. And it was like two hours of sheer bliss. Like anything involving guns and grenades and green, I'm in, okay? Like I'm watching this show, and here's what they said. They said, whatever we did, it was never about us. It was always about two things. We always accomplished the mission, and we always brought each other home. We never left the battlefield with a comrade there. Listen, that's what the Christian life's about, folks. It's about carrying people to Jesus, loving them until they ask why, leading them until they ask where. Where are you taking me? I'm taking you to Jesus. Because I can't change your life, but I've met the one who can. And that's exactly what happened. They had an increasing passion. Increasing passion. Starts with praying for people, carrying people, and cutting holes so people can get in. I was a student pastor with a group of teenagers in Zacatecas City, Mexico. It's about four hours south of Torreon. And we had gone down for about two weeks to help plant a church in a village outside of Zacatecas City. Zacatecas is a pretty large city there in Mexico. But we went down there, we took a bunch of translators with us, because even though I had college Spanish, uh, I still can't dream in Spanish. I mean, the only thing I dream about in Spanish is Mexican food, amen? And, uh, and so we go down there, and, and we take a group of teenagers, and, and on the last day, we had an option. They said, hey, you can go into the city, and you can shop and buy a bunch of stuff, or you can just have free time and do whatever you want. So I love teenagers, because they're like, no, man, we're here 24 more hours. We're on mission for God. Like, we're going to tell the whole city about Jesus. And so they start walking around, and Zacatecas City had like four or five colleges within the city. And so there are college students flocking from all over that part of Mexico who are there to get an education. And so me and a couple of the other teenagers and one of our translators were walking through one of the campuses, and we met this guy who was sitting on this wall. And as we were praying, I really felt the Lord say, you need to talk to this guy. And so I walk up, and I'm like, okay, I can't speak Spanish, so I've got to have my translator with me. And I start telling this guy about Jesus. And one of the teenagers with me starts telling him her testimony about how Jesus had changed her life. And, and all of a sudden, the, the interpreter, the more he's interpreting, the guy on the wall starts crying. And then he starts crying harder. And I'm like, did we offend him in Spanish or something? <laughs> you know, I mean, what happened here? Did I say something wrong? I don't get this. And so the guy continues to cry harder and harder and harder until finally the interpreter looks back at me and he says, he wants to ask Jesus into his life. And I went, wow, this is cool. And so we prayed with him and the interpreter led him to Christ and it was just really awesome. And when it was all over, I asked the interpreter, I was like, man, what happened? He said, I'll tell you later. And so we loved on the guy. We had a Bible with us. We gave him a Bible. We showed him where a Bible study was meeting in that town, how to get connected to a church. It was just really awesome. And we walked away, and that interpreter starts bawling. And I'm like, dude, what are you crying about? At least you can speak. Like, I can't speak. You know, I barely say burrito, okay? It's just not working for me. And he, he starts crying. He looks at me and says, Sean, no lie. He said, that guy told me his story. 
He said two hours ago, the girl he was going to marry broke up with him and told him, I never want to see you again. And he came on this wall and sat here because he's trying to figure out a way to commit suicide. And you guys showed up. I'm like, dude, you can't make this junk up. Are you kidding me? Guys, listen. God doesn't care what we have or don't have. You need to get off the idea that I only have limited resources. We have to have an unwillingness to care about our own reputation and have a willingness to fail. And we need an increasing passion. We need to remember what's at stake. What's at stake? Jesus told a story. And we're going to close with this story. It's found in the book of Luke chapter 14. He had been invited to a prominent Pharisee's house and they were... Just like in the story here in Luke 5, they were more concerned about all of their doctrinal issues and who Jesus was and did not care about the outsider. But in Luke 14, we see a story where Jesus walks in and they're more concerned about who's going to sit next to Jesus. That's how an outsider thinks. Or excuse me, an insider. Who gets to sit next to Jesus? (laughs) I mean... That's crazy. And and so Jesus kind of gets tired of it after a while, and he begins to answer all their questions and everything else. And so finally, Jesus looks at them, and and, and in verse 12, he kind of says, you know, guys, listen, you need to be inviting people who can't even invite you back to their party. Like, you need to have this party theology about you that you're not inviting your friends who can throw you a party, but you go after people who are jacked up, messed up, screwed up, turned up, whatever, who come, who basically need to get to me. And so Jesus kind of gets tired of it after a while. And finally, in verse 14, he does the thing that Jesus was famous in doing. He told a story. We call it a parable. It's known as the parable of the great banquet. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. And at the time, the banquet, he sent servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field. I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, listen, I love their excuses because they're just like the excuses I hear every day in our world today, 2014. The first guy said, hey, I bought a field. I am so rich. I got to go see my field. Like, I want all my stuff. The next guy, he was a career guy. He said, hey, man, I want to make my career. I want to make my business better. And so what he did is he said, I got to go try out these five oxen because I just bought them because I want the company to grow. But I love the third guy. Third guy's like you and I. He walks up and he says, hey, man, I know you invited me because I can't come because I just got married. She's not going to let me come, Okay. There ain't no way she's letting me out of the house or the hut today, okay? It's over. But the truth is, all the excuses are still the same today. Not much has changed. You see, there's a million excuses as to why someone won't come to Jesus. But there's no excuse as to why we shouldn't invite them to know him. Jesus, here in verse 22, said something very profound. Because in this parable, he was trying to make his point. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. In other words, there's still people on the outside looking in. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country and the lanes and compel them 
to come in so that my house may be full. Notice Jesus didn't said in this passage, he didn't say, hey, listen, you take care of all those that are already in. He didn't say that. He said, until the day that I come back, I want you to focus everything you have on the person who's on the outside looking in. And he says, I want you to compel them to come in. That word means literally to pick somebody up and carry them somewhere, to urge them, to walk with them, to journey with them. And here's what Jesus was telling us, and it's the thing, if you don't remember anything else today, here's the key. We must love the outsider until they ask why. And we must lead the outsider until they ask where. Why are you loving me this way? Because this is how Jesus loved me. Why, where are you taking me to Jesus? You know, I look across this room and there's so many faces of you that have peered through the window and you were on the outside looking in and someone loved you enough and they brought you in. And you're saying, where's the joy in my Christian life? The joy is in helping the outsider find the inside. Father in heaven, thank you today that you love us with this type of compassion. And Lord, I thank you today. This is what this whole church is about. It's about one relationship at a time. It's about one mat, finding one roof, one hole, being lowered in front of Jesus. And Lord, that is our mission. And if we fail to do that, we fail at everything. It doesn't matter what we have. It doesn't matter how things look, how things sound, how creative, this just doesn't matter. Jesus, what matters is who are we bringing to you so that you can change their life? And Jesus, you'll do the changing. All you ask us to do is bring them. You've given us homes to use, cars to drive, resources to spend. God, you've given us so much. God, I thank you for the numerous amount of people that meet in life groups all over our city, all over our region, who have such a major opportunity every week to bring people to Jesus. God, I pray for us as a church. I pray that you would turn our eyes from looking inward and turn our eyes outward to see the people that you want us to reach because you've given us everything that we need to reach the people you want us to reach. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I want to ask you a question. You know, I said earlier, maybe you're the person that's on the outside looking in. Man, I'll never forget what that feels like. I knew God was real. I knew Jesus had died for me, but I had no idea what it meant to give my life to him. I thought it meant to show up at church. I thought it meant to put on a three-piece baby blue suit as a fifth grader. That's not what it's about. It's about the fact that God loved you enough that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you on the cross. And today, if you're here and you've never given your life to him, he loves you and he wants to begin a relationship with you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, would you pray this with me? This is a prayer to invite Christ into your life. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me to this place today. Jesus, I know you love me and that you died for me on the cross. And I receive you into my life, Jesus. I invite you into my life 
as Lord and a Savior, would you come in and change me from the inside out? Jesus, thank you today for coming into my life. And I pray that you would help me walk with you, grow in you, and tell others about you. Jesus, thank you for saving me today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and for the very first time you receive Christ, you asked Jesus into your heart, you prayed with me and you meant it, would you slip up your hand all over this room? Anybody? Amen. Praise God. I don't want to welcome you. You're on the inside. Jesus brought you inside. Anybody else? Say, today I meant that for the very first time. I gave my life to Christ. I want to tell you, that's, that's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. I want to talk to the next group here real quick. And it's thus and those that are on the inside. Let me tell you, there's so much more joy in the Christian life that God wants you to have. The Bible even tells us in the New Testament that God wants us to find joy from other people coming to know him. Philemon 1.6. I pray that you'll know every good thing you have in Christ Jesus by telling others about him. I tell you what, man, I am so excited to be in a church that is poised and positioned to carry people to Jesus. And it doesn't matter what means. It may be here on a Sunday morning. It may be a Bible study in a parking lot. It may be a life group at a restaurant. Listen, it doesn't matter to Jesus. We don't get to define the space. We just get to define who we bring them to. Jesus will change their life. Love them until they ask why. Lead them until they ask where. Father, thank you today. Thank you today, Jesus, that you forgave us, that you gave us life. And Lord, I pray today that this word will change us. Lord, I thank you we're about to walk into the greatest evangelistic season of our life. As we get ready for Thanksgiving, as we get ready for the holidays, Lord, I pray that you would put somebody on our heart that we can carry to the feet of Jesus. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.